Hi, this is Louis Canio. Welcome to the Doctor and Dad podcast. This fast-paced weekly podcast delves into the latest scientific findings on how we can all live longer and better lives. I'm the dad, and my daughter, Nicole, is a family medicine doc who trained at the renowned Cleveland Clinic. We hope you enjoy this short, informative show, and please be sure to visit thedoctorandad.com. Uh, and by the way, the doctor is abbreviated in that. So it's T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for the show notes um, and other resources to help you learn about extending your health span. Within the notes, you'll find links to a bunch of stuff we discussed. So be sure to check it out. And thanks for listening. Hi, doctor. Hi, dad. So the question we're going to explore today is, you know, with all the information on what we should eat, obviously more vegetables and what we should not eat, things like processed carbs and trans fats and that sort of thing, are our dietary habits really improving? Uh, Because with all you hear about, you know, increasing incidence of diabetes and other uh, diseases related to, let's say, poor nutrition, doesn't seem like it. So um, I'm, I'm curious. I always like to ask you about your experiences. So your clinical experience, so I have this right, goes back to third year of medical school when you, when you actually start working in a hospital? Yeah, you do a tiny bit first and second year, but nothing, not too much. Um, and then third year, you start like clinical rotations. Um, third year and fourth year and then um residency after that after that yeah which which really obviously you dig into your specialty which was family medicine um so does that so does that is that third year medical school does that go back to 2012 do i have the 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 years right um let me see here graduated in 13 yeah that would be right (laughs) okay so you got seven years of yes of clinical experience and now granted you know not a ton in thir- third and fourth year of medical school so but i'm curious have you seen a greater awareness and understanding you think of proper nutrition during that period of time um yes um definitely more awareness because there's just more information out there um so i think people are overall more attuned to you know their dietary habits and how it has a more profound effect on you know your health um but i think i see it more in like the extremes all right you can see it in in the people who are really um really dedicated to it and making changes and and eat a super clean diet um and then on the other end of the spectrum there are people who like (laughs) even if they know even if they know what's good it's they're just you know, have terrible, a terrible diet. Yeah. The in-between is probably where the majority of people fall. And I'm not sure how much the the people in between the extremes have kind of changed. Really moved. Yeah. That classic kind of bell curve type of thing. Um, And I I think, well, would you agree that, and this is just an assumption, but I'm, I'm again, curious from your clinical experience that, you know, with all the information out there, with easy access to it, um, and with contradictory information out there, that um, that 
it's that people are, are maybe more confused about what they right. should eat. Than yeah, definitely. I mean, as are, as am I sometimes when you read these <laughs> different studies, like, okay, this is actually, eggs aren't, aren't actually good anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Or but, wine isn't actually good for me. Right. Like, what? What? That, that but the general, true. the core, you know, eat whole foods, eat your vegetables, eat some fruits, eat lean meats, you know, or protein, at least, um, you know, that kind of stuff is not, that doesn't change. It's the kind of more specifics and the, the sometimes even like minutia that, that keeps changing. But at the end of the day, vegetables, whole foods are always going to be good for you. Um, and the processed stuff is always going to be bad for you. So sometimes I think people get too fixed on like the particular diet, yeah, you know, the quote unquote, which diet should I follow when that stuff, that information does change, you know, that's the stuff that we have seen make dramatic changes. But if you just kind of go back to the, make it a little bit more basic. Um, it's actually pretty easy to follow. Right. Exactly. Yeah, a good, good one. So, so the study that we're going to look at is, uh, it was just recently published, uh, looked at trends in dietary carbohydrate, protein, and fat intake and diet quality among U.S. adults from 1999 to 2016. So it's looking for, for you know, are things getting better or, or worse, let's say. And the objective really was to, um, to, to investigate trends in dietary macronutrient intake. So that's carbs, proteins, and fats, the sources of that, and the overall diet quality amongst U.S. adults. So, um, so tell us a little bit about how this study was designed so this one you know isn't um our favorite type of study but it still gives us some information and can kind of draw some correlations but it's a cross-sectional study um in the united states and it's a 24-hour dietary recall which we've mentioned in the past people are historically terrible uh, maybe not terrible but not great at diet recalls for a couple of reasons. Um, first, it's hard to just remember exactly what you ate. You also are going to automatically, whether you know you're doing it or don't know you're doing it, um, remember or report more of the good and less of the bad. So the, um, the, the Twinkie might get left out of the, exactly. of the reporting. Yep. Yeah. So, but this is a diet recall. Um, and I'm sure they're pretty, you know, strict and, and, educate people about how to do this in the best way, but it's a diet recall, um, from 1999 to 2016 among adults, 20 years and older. Um, and it's from nine national health and nutrition examination survey cycles. Um, so not just like a one-time poll of the, of the people, um, so there were a total of almost 44,000 people who were, who responded. Um, average age was about 47 um, and 52% or so were women. So it included adults that were 20 years and older who completed at least one um, of the diet recalls during the nine cycles from all that time. So, so they so each person may have may have reported just one 
Right. Or they could have done nine days, yeah. just one day's consumption. That that seems a little problematic. But I guess if you're multiplying it by the 44,000 different people, you get a representative sample of it, I guess. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. So like on one day, plenty of people can like, you know, either have a good day or a bad day. Right. You're, not getting, you're not necessarily getting your average day. But a lot of people, I guess, if you think about your own diet, pretty, pretty consistent, like not that many days that are like way better than others or way worse than others. So given the number of respondents, I bet this that the N or the power of the study, because there's so many right ends up leading a little bit more credibility to the data. Yeah. And the other thing about this is that, you know, their, their objective isn't then to find out, Oh, what health outcomes occurred. It's just purely what the, you know, what, what were you eating? So, right. Yes. That's all they're wondering is what people are eating over time. Um, so probably weeds out the outliers once you analyze your data. Um, but again, that's the problem with these types of studies is there's so many different, you know, confounding factors that could have influenced the results. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. I, I, I kind of dug into the method that they use to ask about, you know, the, to, to, to get that recall information. Um, and they don't just say, okay, you know, what did you eat in the past 24 hours? There's kind of then a, a process to it. Like they probe for foods that might be forgotten. Mm-hmm. They collect the details of the food and they, there's a final probing for any other food. So I, I guess that, you know, the, the, there's a, there's a kind of defined way to try to make that, uh, data gathering that recall as accurate as possible right yeah uh, but the other thing i gotta believe is not only what you eat but how much you, you ate yeah. is going to be a challenge you know yeah. was it that classic fist size piece of protein or, protein yeah yeah <laughs> or two fists or whatever challenging the the the, the so obviously this differs a lot we talked a couple of podcasts ago about my um study my experience being a participant in a study um and, and so to contrast mine with with that my, mine was a clinical study so they strictly controlled at least part of what i ate and then for the for this part that wasn't controlled then they had me record every single thing, including, you know, I mean, they sent me a scale um, to, to, to weigh everything down to the gram. Right. Right. So much more accurate, but, um, but not, um, you don't get the number of people. um, And then the amount, you don't get the same amount of data, but you probably get a little bit better data. um, And you can make more assumptions based on your, you know, the clinical, data compared to these kind of studies but they're they're just they're used for different purposes basically yeah yep. and it's interesting too that so they they use this um usda food patterns equivalence database so i guess nutritional researchers in, in order to kind of standard standardize the data so results can be shared 
there's there's a database that says okay if you if you're reporting that you ate one eight ounce pork chop then we're going to assume that x amount of that pork chop is protein and x amount is fat right as opposed to because there's you know as opposed to some scientists in one study assuming it's it's x and y versus you know another uh, another uh, kind of uh, a and b level of of uh, fat and protein right so there's no way there's no there would be no way to, to to kind of compare the two results so it's interesting that they have this you know kind of because you can imagine that it's important they have this 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 whole database that that allows them to convert the foods we eat into amounts and nutrient values. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, so what are the what were the results of the study? I'm I'm curious. Are we are we eating better? <laughs> so then they talk about like the macronutrients. Essentially, it's like you know carbohydrates versus fats versus proteins, and um, the the total composition of the diet in U.S. adults based on what they found it it did improve. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and what means like what so then what do they mean by yeah. it improved um because that just goes back to what do we think is better for your diet versus worse well in this case it's just kind of the basics again so less low quality carbohydrates meaning the processed carbs those with added sugar um the kind of really refined stuff and an increase in high quality carbohydrates which are the whole grains plant proteins um which are whole grains and nuts and the unsaturated fats or the good fats. Um, so those are kind of things that aren't going to change. Those things are going to be good for you. That's not debate. We're, we don't really debate that. Yeah. Those things are healthy. So yeah. this by, by whatever, by some degree, which we'll talk about the degree <laughs> that improved over time. Um, and then the proportion of energy intake from the low quality carbohydrates still remained high. So still eating a fair amount of processed stuff and carbs, which is probably the worst. If you want to say like, what's the worst thing you can eat, you know, for your overall health, it would be likely the processed carbohydrates. Um, and saturated fat also remained above recommended levels. So it improved, but still eating too much processed carbs and too much saturated fat. So then the actual numbers, the decrease in total carbohydrate in, intake went from 52% to 50% of total food consumed. Um, and an increase in total fat from 32% to 33% in the past 18 years. That's, so That's tiny. <laughs> it's really not that different in my opinion, yeah. but maybe, but if this data might've been analyzed that, and I would have to go back and, and look, and I'm sure they say that that's statistically, you know, significant change, but if you, it doesn't sound that, you know, profound over 18 years time with all of this information that we have now, it's probably more profound in the last, like, five years when we or maybe 10 whenever we really realized that like the food pyramid was skewed was wrong right yeah it was just wrong um so the let's see the past and then these were observed you know between they they looked back even 1971 to 2000 when energy intake from carbs 
had increased. So that's when, you know, we have all that information about that pyramid that was wrong where you eat the most carbs. Um, So carbohydrates had increased from 42%-ish to 49%-ish, while intake from total fat decreased, because that's when we're saying fat's bad, carbohydrates are good. So we did see a trend in the opposite direction. So not, not only did it not continue to increase like it was increasing, it has decreased. So that's good. That means I think people are making changes. I just think I would have expected a little bit more of a. Yeah. Given all of the publicity in the, in the last, Mm -hmm. you know, in all of these diets, you know, Atkins and paleo and vegan and vegetarian Mm -hmm. and all that you'd think that those aren't new right. stuff isn't really that new right they've been but i would say last last 10 or 15 years so you know, yeah it kind of hits the heart of when this study when this when the study was going on you know 1999 yeah. to 2016 yeah um but it but it also you know probably is an explanation why you you because then, then we have to go okay is if if these are the dietary changes do they have clinical significance you know it do right. they do they actually are, are they making a change in terms of people's health outcomes, let's say. Right. And we certainly haven't seen evidence that uh, we have decreasing rates of obesity, of diabetes and of uh, or, or increasing lifespan. I've read I've read that that Americans lifespans are pretty much flatlined mm-hmm. over the past several years, right. uh, which is which is, you know, definitely a reversal from the past hundred or 200 years. Yeah, that is interesting. And I wouldn't initially suspect that that would be the case because you kind of think that we have so much more information and some better information. And a lot of people do seem more health conscious, but I I think that at the end of the day, the majority actually are still struggling with healthy diet and lifestyle. Yep. Yep. You know, once, so um, one thing that was interesting was referenced in this study is something called the healthy eating index, which I had never heard of before. Uh, so I, I dug into that. It's actually the healthy eating index 2015. So apparently this is, this is um, published by the U S department of agriculture. So it's our tax dollars at work mm-hmm. and it's used to assess whether or not certain foods align with the dietary guidelines for Americans that are also established by the USDA. So it's essentially that food pyramid, you know, they, they, the, the food pyramid is, is an an outcome of these dietary guidelines. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's updated every five years. So it's, it's the, the latest one goes from 2015 to 2020. It'll be updated again, I guess, in 20. 20 or 2021 20, so yep. pretty soon um, and and as you know the major change in 2015 was to dramatically decrease sugars as a component right. of it um, so um, and, and so it's it's interesting I went in um, and looked at so it, there's I think 13 different kind of foods or food categories that this healthy eating indexes is made up of and they give points either five or ten points for each one either you know do you have adequate amounts of the good stuff or and are you moderating the bad stuff Mm -hmm. and there's different points assigned so i'll give you i'll give you some examples of one so 
there's there's actually a total total fruits and a whole fruits and one of the differences in total fruits 100% fruit juice is a, is included yeah, which, okay which i've actually heard is bad for you right you know? it's definitely i mean it's and the reason being is like you know there is a lot of natural sugar in fruits which you don't want to overdo but what you do get with the fruits is a lot of good fiber but like if you're eating an apple, you get the good fiber from the skin and everything, right. um, which offsets, you know. But you don't get it with the juice. Sugar. But if you're drinking 100% apple juice, you're really just getting. I've, all, I've heard it's, it's, it's as, as bad as a sugared soft drink. Yeah. Yeah. But, I would but in this, and it'll be interesting to see if, when they update it if, it, if they change. So within that total fruits category, which includes 100% fruit juice, they, what they're saying is. The standard for a maximum score is at least 0.8 cups um, equivalent per 1,000 calories um, intake. So okay. if you're so if you're um, if you're you know on a 2,000 if you typically take in 2,000 calories a day, what they're saying is about a cup and a half of fruit of orange juice, and you mm-hmm. can, and you would get the whole maximum five points is on if you did that every day. So a cup right. and a half orange, but I'm not sure then, you know, based upon what we were just saying that that's actually a good thing to do. Right. <laughs> you know? No, it's not. It's not. We know. So it'll be interesting to see if they, if they adjust that. There's some other mm-hmm. things in here that were interesting. Um, obviously you expect to see like uh, they have total vegetables and then broken out another category of greens and beans because they're particularly good. Um, and obviously you get no score, no, no, you get zero points. If you have no vegetables and no dry green vegetables or legumes, and then for total vegetables, it's 1.1 cups per thousand calories. So basically two, a little over two cups per day for the average, you know, 2000 calorie person. Um, right. Right. So, and, and which, which I'd probably struggle with, but you, you have no problem with that. No. Given the salad you eat, whatever. Yeah. How about, so how about whole grains? So theirs is, let's say, three ounces per day um, is the recommended that's, amount of whole that's grains. That's not that much. It really isn't, but I'm not sure I get that. If I, think I probably do in popcorn alone. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. Dairy is on there. Um, yeah. As a, and, and they recommend um, basically, um, let me look at this. Hang on one second. Yeah, that three ounces. I'm, I'm surprised by that. Well, how about dairy? Dairy is yeah. Dairy's <laughs> another three ounces. Um, so well, no, 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 no. Dairy is excuse me. Dairy is almost three cups. Okay, good. That's better. Yeah, I say good because I think about how much milk Sophia drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but do you? How much dairy do you get? And you don't get three um, cups of dairy a day, do you? Well. No, for sure not. I don't drink milk unless it's in a latte. Um, do you drink? Do you eat yogurt? That's my it's my go to lunch. So Greek I don't eat yogurt that much. No, it doesn't really. I don't really. I mean, not because I don't. I like it, but um, it just doesn't really. It's not part of my regular. Yeah, I eat cheese. Okay, well, get some. Then I eat cheese every day for sure. Um, so to go, to go further total, they have a total protein foods and then a separate seafood 
and plant proteins, which are especially obviously good for you. So they're recommending about five ounces of total protein, which isn't, that's not much. We definitely probably exceed that yeah, average. people are eating more protein yeah. than they need. And then good fatty acids is, is another component. The, the things that you ought to moderate, refined grains. So you'll get a maximum score of 10 if you have less than, let's say, three and a half ounces equivalent per thousand calories. Okay. And then sodium, um, added sugars is a, is, is a separate category. So they're saying added sugars should be less than six and a half percent of total energy. So if your total energy is 2000 calories, then that's a hundred, what, 130 calories right. coming from sugars, added sugars. So yeah. think about think that. About, that's, and especially if you think about kids and that's where all these habits start forming. Yep. Um, and I, I kind of can sympathize with parents, um, cause there's, you know, there's obviously the extremes where the entire family eats terribly. Um, but even for us, you know, we eat pretty healthy, but it's, you know, a fight right now trying to get a two and a half year old, my two and a half year old to eat healthy food. She used to eat well, really well. And now she's super picky. Um, <laughs> cause she realizes so, she has choices, which mm-hmm. when she was one and a half. She didn't realize that. Oh, yep. I could, I could actually, if I put up a fuss, I can get the, uh, what right. is it? The, the, cheese Chex Mix. Chex Mix. Is that, is that, that's her thing. Oh my gosh. Yes. Loves Chex Mix. Uh, um, not good. That's a refined grain for sure. <laughs> yes. But then sometimes I, you know, when I bring her to daycare school and she's got a, like a breakfast snack and she'll have a, like a whole grain fig bar and that'll be her like breakfast snack. And I walk in and there's a couple kids that'll have like bags of donuts in front of them. Uh, um, yeah. So I'm like, okay, it's not like, she's definitely not the worst. Doesn't have the worst diet, but it's, it's a challenge. And eventually I just constantly give in. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, I try to tell her just, you have to try, just try it, try this. And then you can have blank. Cause some of it, I'm like, I know you're going to like this, um, but it's a challenge. And that's when. Particularly with her. Cause she's a, she's, a assertive little girl <laughs> yeah it's almost like because we want it and it wasn't her idea she's gonna just refuse exactly no matter what. exactly um, but it's 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 tough it's really tough so it's not just like you think about yourself you think about your kids and establishing these habits and then there's some families where you know you put the kid at such a disadvantage by not working on healthy diet habits at a young age because then they have to form them and change their habits by themselves um, and I think it's, so just, I think it's not only habits, but their palate is, yeah. it, it responds yeah. to, and uh, if you, if, you know, you, you believe, and I do the, the scientific research, it's not only um, habits and palate is also their brain is being right. programmed yeah. to respond to that yeah. high uh, processed carbohydrate food. Yeah. Yep. So they are, yeah, it, it's, it's no wonder that, um, given that, that it, it becomes difficult, you know, then as teens and then ultimately as adults. Right. So, uh, so, so let's, let's talk about just a little bit about, you know, why we don't see a greater change in the eating habits. You know, what was, what was interesting was one of the things they, they noted was that U.S. adults with low income and educational attainment experienced much smaller improvement 
in uh, macronutrient composition did not improve overall diet quality in the past 18 years. So why in general are Americans kind of challenged and why are low income um, and low education folks particularly challenged? I mean, that more, more money makes everything easier. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it just does. So it's not true that you can't buy, you can't afford healthy food. Like, but to the same degree, you really can drive through McDonald's and get your whole family something for a heck of a lot cheaper than going in and buying everything to make a meal. Yeah, on a pure calorie basis. Right, exactly. So, and time, people are busy. Um, So I I can understand the money piece. Um, And then also, obviously, lower education um, if you're, you just don't know. So there's, I have encountered so many times where, um, and if you, it's not even that you think like, oh, this person is, doesn't have the same education level. It's just, they, they'll say something and you realize they really have no idea about what's a good carb and a bad carb. Um, yep. so if, if you just don't know, then you're not going to be making great choices. Um, so yeah, those two things, that doesn't really surprise me. Yep. Yep. And I, I almost think part of it also is the knowledge of how to prepare healthy food may not, because if you were brought up in a family of, you know, that, that relied cooks at home. Yeah. Well, right. Cooks at home. Like we were, then you, you, you know, that you don't have an issue, but if if you were brought up in a family that ate primarily processed foods and then went out, whether it was McDonald's or a restaurant, it doesn't matter. You, your, your knowledge of how to prepare healthy foods really is minimal. Now, these days you can, you know, opt into one of those food services that will send you all the ingredients to, and instructions to prepare, but then it becomes a cost issue. Exactly. So that's one of the first things I ask people when I'm talking about their diet is, do you eat mostly home cooked or prepared food? Um, you know, are you mostly cooking your food at home or are you more doing takeout fast food or already prepared foods? Um, because that clues you in. Yep. Because even Perfect. if you pick healthy stuff out, it's still not as health ever as healthy as you think it is. Um, so the best thing you can do, even if you're not trying to cook super healthy, cooking at home is still going to be better. Right. Exactly. And and these days there are so many sources. You, you know, let's say you you, you don't have a, a background, and you don't have to be a, no. a, a restaurant quality chef to prepare no. this stuff and, and, and prepare it in a tasty manner. Um, but it does take a little bit of, of, let's say maybe a little bit of research. Uh, and it takes, many sources it out takes time. I mean, I know it from, we're, we're a two parent working full-time family with small children and it's time consuming. Yeah. And, and underlying all that is the motivation to actually, you know, eat healthier. So, so to improve your health so that you put in the, the time that's, that's yeah. Very it's not it is not easy so i my you know i don't really i mean there's definitely people who could be doing a much better job but i understand that overall it does take a lot to yep. to do this kind of stuff yep so the bottom line is we're, we're as a as a society we're kind of heading in the right direction but probably too darn slow to yeah, uh, yeah. to to, to in, in terms of how uh, how fast and, and because um the the reasons for the uh, the, the slow changes in, in 
diet quality are so varied and so kind of intractable. Um, we shouldn't expect great things in the near future, unfortunately. Right. Sorry to sorry to, to end this on a downer note, but you know, it is but, this is but this is on the grand the grand, you know scale. Yep. scale. So thinking of it more on an individual scale, um, you know, makes it seem a little bit more hopeful. Yep. And I think that that, you know, we, we've talked about in the past is changing habits kind of incrementally. I'll give you an example. I never cook beans, uh, prepare mm-hmm. beans, and you know, dry beans. You know, yep. if I'm going to eat beans, I buy them in a can. I don't do all of that. So I don't, I basically don't eat enough legumes. Um, but so one of the habits that I, I, I've started to change is, is preparing some beans myself. And once you start to do that, you realize it is simple, simple, yep. simple. Actually, I, I have taken to, uh, to cooking them in the oven as opposed to on the stovetop. Um, and so I've got, you know, you can cook up a bunch of beans, which a small amount of beans actually grows into a fairly large amount as you mm-hmm. cook them. Um, and I've got probably a couple of cups in the, uh, in the fridge that I'm going to make into a soup using the, uh, you know, the, the liquid that you cook them in becomes essentially a vegetable broth. Right. So it's, yep. it's surprisingly easy once you, once you kind of get over that hurdle of, oh, I haven't really done it before. So right. Yeah. I guess that's what we'd, we'd leave you with is give it a Just shot. Try. You might be yep. surprised. Yep. So. Awesome. Well, you, um, great talking to you as usual. You have a great rest of the week and I'll be uh, interested to see what we uh, have, uh, have next to talk about. Sounds great. Okay. Love you. Love Bye. You. Thanks again for listening. You can visit the doctorandad.com. That's spelled T-H-E-D-R-A-N-D-D-A-D.com for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now the legal disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not, should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.